0: You're listening to the JT The Brick Show, where the Raider Nation has come to sound off and react for over 20 years. And now, live, it's time.
1: Car will go back into the gun. Jacobs cuts Perfect. middle, walks in. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs, touchdown.
0: It's time for the JT The Brick Show. We have a good team. We have a good team that competes for, uh, all the time. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. We don't feel like effort's been an issue at all. Gets the
1: handoff, bust toward the end. Of,
2: jackpot, baby. Pinion Drake takes it home.
0: Here's your
1: host, JT The Brick.
2: Out of the gate, JT, with you on a Monday. We call it the Aftermath on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. in the Raiders team website and mobile app. We hope you had a good weekend. If you went to the Raider game, you did not have a good weekend as the Raiders lose another game at home at Allegiant Stadium to a team that they should have beat in dramatic fashion. And this is now more than a trend of happening here in Vegas with a game on a line and the Raiders on the wrong end of it. There were some exciting games this year at Allegiant Stadium that went the Raiders' way in overtime, uh, Miami and Baltimore, but with the season on the line, the Raiders suffer another gut-wrenching, as it says on the cover of our local paper, the Las Vegas Review-Journal, a kick in the gut. Raiders' playoff hopes take another blow in last-minute loss, 17-15 to the Washington football team. We're brought to you by Golden Entertainment. They own the Strat, Arizona Charlies, all the PTs here in town, Sierra Gold, Sean Patrick, the SG Bar. They fuel the monologue, and they are an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. Head on out to a PT's to watch Monday Night Football. What a game this is going to be. Monday Night Football, Buffalo hosting New England. It is pouring rain. I have friends up there who even FaceTime me. Pouring rain. Could be a snowstorm tonight. Could be wild. And it's an AFC game, so Raider fans will be interested in that. Uh, We got a lot to get to today. What I decided to do this year, because we got a lot of great guests, as you know. We book the hell out of the show with the best guest in Vegas. We're lucky to do that. Bobby pulls it off every week. I leave Monday open, because if the Raiders win, it's just a great celebration. If the Raiders lose, it's a much easier radio show. And it's a much more difficult radio show because there's just a lot that we got to keep an eye on in regards to fans and fans being over the top and me getting a little bit bombastic and all of that. You won't meet anybody in your life that loves doing sports radio more than me. I might not be your favorite. I hope you respect what I do. There's never a show that I don't have unlimited energy and try to hear your voice. That'll never change. That's really all I do is I'm just a fan behind the microphone and I try to get out of the way and let other people come in there and express their passion for the Raiders. And I've put more Raider fans on the radio than anyone who's ever lived. Not even close. I don't need a statue. I don't need a plaque for that. That will never happen. Believe me, there's no kid who's 14 years old who 20 years from now is going to talk to more Raider fans than I did over 23 years. Won't happen. The horse is in the barn. It's over. Train's in the station. I will never be lapped on that. Okay, so I have more experience than anybody with these shows after the loss than anybody. And I've had some great shows and great wins over my career where I've been able to talk about it and have a lot of fun here. This loss to me is bleeping mind-blowing. I mean, it's mind-blowing because last week I had on Joe Theismann. And I had on Tom Flores, and I had on all of the Jay Schrader, and I bought all these national guests, and nobody saw a game like this coming. Nobody saw a game like that. I'm talking the experts. Then I do the pregame show, and we have guests on the pregame show live at The Torch. And I want to thank everybody for showing up at The Torch. What a blessing for me and my family to be there, my wife and I, at The Torch, and see a sea of greater humanity and opposing fans having a great time getting a cocktail, taking selfies with Eric Allen, you know, having a great time. It is humbling to be sitting up on that stage on the torch, looking out at Allegiant Stadium. It is, I am the luckiest man alive when I get to do that on game day. Then I watch the game, and I have uh, season tickets, and I move around, and I go sit behind Brett Musburger and Lincoln. I bop around, I see some friends, and then I go to the Modelo Cantina to host the postgame show. So that's my day. Oh, and excuse me, it starts off at the Black Hole Tailgate at J-Lot, which was a raucous crowd. A lot of Washington fans there, too, and it was a great day. And then I get home around 7 o'clock, and then I do a three-hour show from 8 to 11 on Sirius. So my day starts with a Modelo at about 9.15, trying to get my groove on in the J-Lot with the Raider Nation, and it ends at 11 o'clock at night. Last night, I was so bleep and pissed off at 11 o'clock at night. I left my home, and I walked around the block something that my dad's taught me as a young kid because my dad used to do that. And my dad would walk out of the house and walk around the block because I had two sisters, a mom, and me, and he would get so frustrated that, and he wasn't a drinker and a party or anything. He's just a guy, conservative guy. Instead of raising his voice, he'd take the dog, he'd put it on the leash, and he'd walk around the block. And I get that from my dad. So last night I walked around the bleeping block in my community in Summerlin, and I was so freaking pissed off About that Raider loss, it was one of the most damaging losses mentally to me because I can't believe they lost the game. Under any circumstance, I can't believe they lost the game. And I promised myself today and my wife that I would be calm, I'd be cool, I'd be collected, and I wouldn't get that emotional. That's how much I love this team. I want them to win for the owner, to the coach, to you, the Raider Nation. And I hope you know that. I know you know that. But that game was an absolute gut punch. Eric Allen and I stood outside the Medello Cantina up against the club drapes and watched that final drive and that field goal that went in. And then what happened after that? And Eric, I looked at Eric. He was in shock. Eric Allen, maybe the nicest guy I've ever met and worked with. In shock. We put on the headsets and did the post game show. And I, I just walked to my car in the parking lot after the game. I said, how the hell did that happen? How do you lose a game like this game at home with so much on the line? And that's what the show's about today. I don't have all the answers. I want the team to bounce back and win. Kansas City has never played worse. In this run of Andy Reid, they've never played this bad. So can they win the Kansas City game? Most people probably say no. I say they could get up for it. That's what I do. I like to bring in at least the optimism that this team can bounce back and win. That's later in the week. We got a whole week to do that. I'm breaking out. I should just put in a. Bobby should just go back and play one of my misdirection weeks that I've played and perfected over the last few years. Just Kansas City's going to run misdirection. I'm going home. I'm going on vacation. I'm going to Maui till Sunday, and I'll be at DM at eight in the morning. Because that's all I'm going to talk about this year, week is Kansas City starting a play to the right and running it to the left. Starting a play to the left and running it to the right. You're going to get so sick and tired of me this week saying the word misdirection that I hope someone in the Raider Nation is counting. I don't know if I'm going to say it 100 times, 75 times, but the amount of times I'm going to interview people and say misdirection is alarming. But that's for later on in the week. So how do the Raiders lose to a quarterback named Heineke in their building with the season on the line. Let's begin with that. Taylor Heineke makes more plays than Derek Carr. He does. I didn't think he could. He does. The reason why he does is he moves the pocket. He stays in the pocket as long as he can. He takes brutal hits or he runs away from the hit at the last second. And he doesn't throw it forty yards. All he does is keep his head up and then drop it six yards. And there's a seven-yard gain, and you go, wait a second. Whoa, 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 wait, Max Crosby just had him. Yannick Ngakwe was about to sack him, and he keeps the play alive. So that's what happened yesterday in a game that was only a combined, you know, 17-15 game. A couple of those plays made a difference. So that's one thing that we'll end up discussing today. The second thing was, where the hell was Deshaun Jackson? Where was he? Can we, can we get some clarity on what's happening with this? Was, is, is, he, is he hiding an injury? Is he 100%? Was he not in the lineup when he should have been? When he wasn't, when he was wide open, waving? Why didn't he get the football? So we'll address that. Next topic is Jonathan Abram. Big topic for me because I like John Abram. I think he's a good player. I want to get this out of the way on Monday. I would not play him against Kansas City. I would not play him. But you can't because the Raiders have so many injuries that you have to play him. So I dip the show in reality. I'm not saying bench John Abram. I just wouldn't play him. So I'd have him suit up and dress, and I would just have him on the sideline. I'd go with anybody other than Jonathan Abram in this game because the way he gets exposed in the passing game is alarming, and I've seen that movie enough with Kansas City. So seriously, I'd take someone from the practice squad. I'd take anybody, a nickelback, whatever. I would put... Anybody deep out in center field and just say, John Abram, you're going to sit this one out. You're going to watch this from the sidelines and do that. Point number three. And then the other thing has to do with the coaching. Because I like Rich Passaccia. As you know, I interview him every week. I think that Greg Olson knows the playbook as good as Derek Carr. I'm a fan of Gus Bradley. Get on the bus with Gus. They only give up 17 points. You know, they give up a couple of big plays every game when they lose. So we're going to talk about the coaching this week and what's at stake and what the coaching could do to get the team to play faster and earlier in the game. You know, it's the same old story at Allegiant Stadium. Win the toss, defer. Other team comes down and scores, and then the Raiders take their damn-ass time and don't run any plays, and they're slow, and they don't understand that everybody in the stands where I'm sitting is going, looking around, going, why aren't they running plays? Why, Why are they in the huddle? JT, why are they snapping the ball with two seconds left on the play clock? I, I don't know. I don't know. So, so let's talk about that today. Let's talk about why the Raiders can't get a play in for the quarterback and why the quarterback needs that play, why the quarterback has to change the play while the play clock's click, clicking, uh, clicking down and the opposing defense and Jack Del Rio's going, oh, oh, there's only three seconds on the play clock. They got to snap it or they're going to take a penalty and they snap the ball with two or one seconds to go. How long have we talked about that? How long have we talked about that? Two months? Why why is the quarterback changing the play at the line of scrimmage every time? As one Hall of Famer told me, Hall of Famer, just take the damn play and run it. Why? I don't know. I don't play quarterback. I'm not a coach. I just run a really fast-paced radio show. So we gotta talk about that. So all of this to me is alarming that a team in a season that's wide open, ladies and gentlemen of the Raider Nation, if this was a season, I, I thought Buffalo was gonna go 14 and 3. So no one in the AFC East would have a chance. I was wrong. New England has a chance to be better than Buffalo. I had no idea this year that the AFC would be so wide open that if you were six and six or seven and five, you got a really good chance to make the playoffs. And the Raiders were in that until yesterday, and now they're going to need a miracle to get into the playoffs. The Raiders this year have lost to the New York Giants, the Washington football team, the Chicago Bears. All right, they've lost to teams that they should have beat. Cincinnati is better than we thought, but they could have beat Cincinnati. The Chargers just won in Cincinnati. And then the Raiders have games against the Chargers and Denver left. And I think they could win those games if they have the fight and the season's still alive and the players all play like Max Crosby and play like it's life and death. So that's what I got. I I got a lot of questions, and I didn't think I'd have a lot of questions on this Monday. I didn't. I thought the Raiders would win the game. Not comfortably, but they'd win the game by seven to eight points. They wouldn't be chasing points. They just, you know, take care of business, move the chains, make a couple of big plays, and do some unique things in the game. Forget about the unique things. Forget about the new year, unique things. There's no crossing routes. There's nothing. The, the offensive playbook right now, either because the quarterback doesn't trust the offensive line so the plays won't develop downfield, so the plays could be there, But they're not going to happen if the quarterback doesn't hold strong in the pocket or get the hell out of the pocket and keep the play alive like Taylor Heineke does or that they just can't run these plays because the offensive line is just not good enough and it's just chaos on every play. I cannot believe the offense is the problem of this team. We addressed Henry Ruggs and the tragedy. We've talked about that. That's way in the past. John Gruden's playbook, John Gruden's resignation, that's in the past. And we're just wondering now what this team could do to try to save the season against Kansas City. And fortunately, Kansas City is playing so poorly, it's incredible. I saw a graphic today, which was uh, something I screenshot on TV today. Patrick Mahomes, during the Chiefs' five-game winning streak against the Giants, one touchdown, one interception, a 74.6 passer rating. Versus Green Bay. Only one touchdown, a seventy-four four point eight passer rating. Week 11 versus Dallas, no touchdowns, one interception, a 71.9 quarterback rating. And last night versus Denver, zero touchdowns, one interception, a 57.3 quarterback rating. Oh, but I forgot the game sandwiched in the middle. At Las Vegas Week 10, five touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 127.6 quarterback rating. So you couldn't have Mahomes playing any worse if you dreamed it up and made it up, except against Las Vegas. The Raiders get an opportunity to see Mahomes play at absolutely no debate the worst stretch of his entire career. Worst stretch. He didn't throw a touchdown against Denver. He threw one. He had no touchdowns and interception. That's a team you have coming up on Sunday where you need that game to win and save the season. 702-365-9200. So I'd like to hear from some new Raider fans, some global Raider fans, and I'd like to hear about how you feel about the team now. And I believe in the coaches. I believe in the players. I criticize the players when they don't play well. That's what I do. I've always done that. But I'm not a kerosene gas can guy because I work for the team. You don't. You don't. I do. So I'm in a different spot. I don't I'm not a journalist. I work inside the building and I respect everybody in that damn building. And some of them are very good friends of mine. So the pain that they have, I get it. I know what they're going through. So understand, at least in this two hour block, what the rules are. Okay, We, we, we show respect. We don't make it personal. We criticize, we celebrate, and this is a devastating loss. Any way you look at it, it's a devastating loss. I cannot believe they lost this game. I was pretty shocked when they lost to Chicago because Justin Fields couldn't throw, and and they lost that game, but I was very surprised they'd lose this game with no Chase Young, the injuries that they had, and I just thought the Raiders would have had a better performance on the offensive side of the ball, especially coming off the Dallas game. Where they played very well in the Dallas game, and they took shots, and they didn't take shots against Washington. What's incredible about Washington? It's the same thing that happened with the Giants. The Raiders thought that they could do something, and then instantly in the first quarter they looked at it and said, "We can't do this. So we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it." And that—that's what happened. That Washington dictated in Allegiant Stadium what Derek Carr couldn't, could or can't do. And I'm surprised. Excuse me. I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that the Raiders look at a couple of teams' defenses and say, we can't do this, we can't do blank, so we're going to check down and get out of these plays. With Deshaun Jackson, Brian Edwards, Foster Moreau, Kenyon Drake before he got hurt, and the rest of this offense with Hunter Moreau. They are now unofficially, they are officially an underneath offense. They take what's open underneath Period. And from time to time, they take a shot if they have to. If they have to. And then the last thing before I get to the highlights, I want to uh, mention this, which is a big topic, is clock management. Clock management, I've never seen it worse. Because at the end of the game when they needed time left on the clock in the fourth quarter, all I kept thinking was the first, second, and third corner. Where they were so nonchalant. So slow and nonchalant to play with any type of energy, up-tempo, forget about the no huddle, and they were so nonchalant with the clock that they sure damn well would have loved another two minutes down 17-15 with a couple of timeouts, wouldn't they have? Wouldn't that wouldn't have been nice to have three timeouts plus the two-minute warning and more time left, but when you, when you, when you sit in the huddle – and you let 35 seconds go down, every bleep and play, literally every play, go back and watch the game, don't ask for another minute 10 when you desperately need it at the end of the game because it's not a priority. Clock management is not a priority. I don't know why. I don't get it, and I'd like to figure that out. Let me just knock through some of this. I see some of you waiting on hold. We'll get to all of you. This Logan Thomas touchdown. I want you to hear it because you really got to see it to analyze what happened on this touchdown as Washington goes up 7-0. A little
1: boomerang motion, play action, looking over to the left side against basically Got a man wide open for the touchdown, and there's your man, Logan Thomas. Six feet, six inches, broke open in the back of the end zone, exactly what Lincoln Kennedy told you that they were going to have to defend. Maury could not get over on him.
2: The reason why Maureg, Trayvon Merrick couldn't get over there is I I froze this picture. I froze it to make the point here in the monologue. On that play, Jonathan Abram was closer to the line of scrimmage than the linebackers. Jonathan Abram, when the ball was snapped, looked around and had no idea what was going on. A starting safety in the NFL who has to either be in the back of the end zone because he's a safety, the last line of defense, And he's just standing at the one-yard line as the ball is caught, nine and a half yards in the end zone. There's a 10-yard difference between where a safety should be in no man's land. Also on that play, Thomas just ran past Littleton, and Littleton just basically gave him a slice of pizza and said, I'll meet you in the back of the end zone. I don't have you. Nobody had him. He's in the back in the end zone by himself. He wasn't on Merrick's side. There was no safety on the other side there because the safety was in the box pretending to be a linebacker. Okay, that, that's how the game starts off. I love Carlson. Carlson can kick from 52 yards if you get the ball to the 30, 35-yard line. This guy's automatic.
1: This will be a 52-yarder, 52 52-yarder 52 with a new long snapper. Carson Tinker from Alabama has replaced Trent Sig who's on the COVID list. So watch this snap. Good snap. Good hold. On its way by Carlson. Jackpot, baby. Raiders are on the board before the intermission.
2: Yep, so that guy, Carlson, all you got to do is get the ball to the 30-yard line the whole game, and he'll just put up three. You can get nine. I used to say that about Janikowski. Every Raider game that Janikowski plays, you should automatically have nine points from the field goals. That's nine. That's nine. And then if he gets three touchdowns, three extra points, you're at 12. The Raiders lost 17-15. Carlson could have got you nine points, 12 points in his sleep if the offense just got the ball to the 30-yard line. We're not asking the offense to score or get it down to the five-yard line. We're just saying to get it to the 30. You're starting off at the 25, get it to the 30, and Carlson will take over from there. But they weren't able to do that. So then, this touchdown to Gibson, again, coverage a little bit soft for me at this time. Let's play it. Third down and goal. Heineke back into the gun. Takes it. Looks quickly to that slant play to
1: Gibson, and he slips in for the touchdown. He was going to Gibson all the way. That was the play on the slant out to the right. Heineke hit him perfectly for his second touchdown pass of the game.
2: Pretty easy play to defend because Gibson's their most productive player, and he was able to score. So they beat the Raiders on a goal-line situation with Gibson scoring there. Good play. Nice play by Washington. You tip your cap. They ran a really good play. The Raiders really didn't defend it well. Uh, Then we go to Deshaun Jackson. More people asked me, more people called in on the postgame about where was Deshaun Jackson. Why wasn't he on the field more? Here's the Deshaun Jackson sighting
1: is back into the gun zay jones comes in motion car's gonna throw from the gun gonna look downfield. gonna fire to the left sideline wide open hey deshaun jackson there's been a sighting first down and
2: 10 deshaun jackson play-by-play boys the legend says there's a sighting he said it not me he, he calling the game and he's calling the game with the spotter's son and lincoln kennedy they don't see Deshaun Jackson? How's that possible? He just had a great game in Dallas. He just had an unbelievable game in Dallas. He played unbelievable in Dallas. Why was the quarterback not all over him all game? Why wasn't the quarterback throwing to him deep two times a half? Why? He's the only he took over for Henry Ruggs. During a tragedy, he was brought in. He just had a game, and they can't throw the ball to number one? Why wasn't he part of the game plan? Why wasn't he on the field more? I do not know. I do not know. That was shocking to me. He, he needs to get the ball. The owner of the team agreed to bring him in so he would get the football. Get him the football. He's Deshaun Jackson. He doesn't get the football. We move on. So the Jacobs TD got him in the game. The missed two-point conversion, this was a killer because the receiver was wide open. Edwards is out to the right. Zay Jones
1: to the left. Looks to the right. Fires back. Oh, high. He had Edwards. He had Edwards wide open. And Carr threw high. So it will
2: stay Washington up by two. I have no problem with that. Carr missed him. The Car is very accurate. Carr missed him. No problem with that. I, I know it's a lost play. You will never hear me criticize Derek Carr on missing someone because he threw it too high. It was a fastball. Got away. Max Scherzer, 3-2 and two count, might let a, a pitch get away from him. It happens. No criticism for Derek on that. Did it hurt? It absolutely hurt because the Raiders were chasing the rest of the game. We talk about interceptions. You got to catch the football when it's available when you can make a play. Hobbs with the interception we'll send Gibson in motion out to the
1: left side he's all alone and he got a high snap brings it back down fires over to the right side intercepted picked off at the 31yard line yes sir it's Mr. Hobbs and Hobbs is still
2: running Hobbs is down what a play Greater nation is on its feet what a big play that that, that could have won the game. We'll get to another really missed interception that cost the Raiders a game, but that, you got to score points, and the Raiders got a field goal. You got to score points there. And then we move to the Merrick near interception. This could have bailed the Raiders out. The Raiders were outplayed in the game, but easily could have won the game if Merrick caught this ball. Backing up is Heineke. Steps up in the pocket.
1: Fires. Almost intercepted. Moore, the free safety, come on,
2: came up and deflected it. He almost picked it off. He almost picked it off. Again, very difficult for me to criticize. It, it was a physical mistake. It was an easy interception that would have won the game. For those who say he would have had a pick six, he would have did this or that, whatever it would have been, okay, okay, I get it. But that, that would have been a Raider victory on a ball that was thrown right to a player and he didn't handle it. Very unfortunate but it was a physical mistake and that happens. Mental mistakes we have a problem with. Physical mistakes are going to happen from time to time and then we go with a guy that they just brought in to play I didn't think he'd make this field goal, I thought it was right on the edge, but he got it away clean Looks like it is going to be about
1: a 48 yarder for the recently signed field goal kicker 48 yards crowd roaring. kicks it away off to the right and slides through on the right side to put Washington ahead 17 to 15 what a pressure kick by Brian Johnson
2: young man from Virginia Tech yeah you shouldn't be in the league if you can't make that kick but that was a clutch kick New guy stepping in. Wow. Would have been nice. On the cover of the paper, Cleve Farrell missed that. Missed that bite. half a finger. He, he could have. He almost got it. And then, no pass interference on this play. On the tug of the jersey, at the bottom of the jersey. And all the contact at the top of the head. I was surprised by this. Car from the gun.
1: Rolls to the right. Looks downfield. Fires it deep down to Zay Jones. Zay Jones battles. Incomplete. No is there a flash? There's no flash.
0: Ivan McCain, the safety was strive for strive with Zay Jones. Derek decided to take a take a hit at it. McCain had a jersey, but they didn't
2: call it. The back judge did not call it. Yeah, I'm surprised. On the replay, it looks like they should have called it. And I'm a big fan, if you've listened to me for 20 minutes or 20 years, I'm a big fan for any team getting that call at home. You might think I'm nuts on that. I grew up that way. You get to call it home. A home call like that, you get it. You don't get it on the road. Raiders don't get it at Allegiant Stadium. No team's been screwed more by the officials since 1960 than the Oakland, L.A., and Las Vegas Raiders. Is that the reason they lost the game? Could have been. That would have won the game. That would have been the game-winning field goal. Merrick dropped the game-winning interception. A lot of plays that happen in this game that are gut punch kicks to the Raiders. I see everybody. I'll get to you on the other side. I went way too long here in the monologue. Brought to you by Wahoo's Fish Tacos. That's where I go when you talk about this authentic California cuisine. I love it. The burritos, their protein bowls, their gaming, their bar sports. Wahoo's on Eastern, the second deck, is where I go with my friends for live entertainment and a great time. Wahoo's Fish Taco. We open it up with your phone calls on The Aftermath on Raider Nation Radio.
3: Heineke, play action, Gibson.
4: Throws toward the end zone,
2: wide
3: open and Logan Thomas! Touchdown!
2: Touchdown, Washington! That is Washington football team radio on the call. JT, back with you. The aftermath, the day after. Harry Ruiz, the Spanish voice of the Raiders at the top of the hour. Harry is really good. He's really good as a play-by-play, young emerging play-by-play guy in our building. We've been putting him on Monday, and it's been exceptional. I want to thank our good friends at Resorts World. I was at Resorts World most of the weekend. All their new restaurants. The footprint of that place is amazing. But I wanted to tell you about the new Cigar Bar 8. Went there with a bunch of friends, with the Raiders, Had an unbelievable dinner at Resorts World. Then we went to the Cigar Bar. I love cigars. Talk about it on the show. This is the best cigar bar I've ever been to, including some high-end ones in New York City. The system that they have in place there is amazing. The walk-in humidor. The outside to sit outside, overlooking the strip at Resorts World. And then inside, with their air filtration my wife and the gals who are with us as we're smoking cigars as the smoke is getting pulled up through the ceiling with their s system was incredible we had an amazing time great band playing so if you love a good cigar go inside resorts world to eight it's fantastic it blew me away i'll be going back there a lot with the raider nation uh, scott sabella and the vision at resorts world every time i go there it gets better and better and better Chris in West Oakland joins us. We went to the Westgate. I got to thank, we have to thank Chris, Jeff Sherman, who hooked us up for college football on Saturday at the Westgate. What a day we had there. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. You know, Mr. Sherman, it, it
4: was just absolutely phenomenal day. Great start to the weekend. <clears throat> the black hole tailgate, you know, everything was great, uh, you know, till the kickoff of the game, JT. And like I said, real quick, I, I want to thank you for everything you did for me this weekend. And my cousin, Mike also, he, he's, he's just raved about it to everybody back home. What a wonderful time. and What a great host you were for us. Thank you again. So let's get to the business at hand here. I'm going to start with all three phases of the game. Let's we'll start with the coaches. What did we talk about? All three things we talked about Saturday, JT came to fruition in a negative light. Number one, Starting the game. I'm tired of Basaccia deferring to the second half every single week. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing every doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Know your team, know your personnel. You don't have the two thousand Ravens defense. Quit putting your, your your weaker unit of the two on the field first and then surprise when you're down three or seven nothing every single week. Coaching staff gets an F for that alone. Pace of the game and game plan. I don't know who's ordering up the plays. Who's in charge of getting these guys ready to play? But for whatever reason, every week they come out flat and unprepared to play. No no huddle, no pace until there's absolutely have to at the end of each half the slow play. And listen, Derek Carr deserves a lot of criticism also. He's going to get the brunt of it. He missed some throws. I think he could probably tell these coaches, screw you, I'm going to run the plays I want to do it. I wish he had a little more Rich Gannon in him that way. That being said, the offensive line's a complete mess. We can't run the ball, we can't protect that well, and that that that's a big issue. We took a strength of the team from a year ago, we decided to blow it up, and now it's blowing up in their faces. That's another, and again, Josh Jacobs, 22 touches for 90 yards. He doesn't need 22 touches. We're a passing team. We're 6 when card, doesn't throw for 300 yards. And explain to me, JT, why after we, on the field goal to tie the game, four straight passes gets us down to the 30-yard line. We run the ball three state times and take one shot at the end zone. Well, number one, running it three times there probably cost us a minute. That sure would have been nice at the end. Again, the The play calling is just mind-boggling to me. I just can't believe it. Now let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. Number one, it's a team game. I know the offense is going to get a lot of criticism, but for Christ's sake, is it too much to ask JT that we just once win a freaking game when we don't score 35 points? The Chiefs' offense isn't exactly a juggernaut right now, but they make plays at opportune times and take advantage and win games. Sometimes you have to win that way in the NFL. And one of the things we talk about making those interceptions. First off, Stonehands Hayward dropped the one that Hobbs had. Almost was a blown opportunity. But I'm going to go to Trayvon Merrick. I think he's got promise, but like you say over and over, you think he's going to make these plays. When, JT, five times this year he's had his hands on a ball, he hasn't made one. And I don't want to hear anybody come on here after me and say, well, that play didn't cost him the game. There was 47 seconds left. It did cost him the game. It would have erased 59 minutes of bad football simply by catching the ball. An NFL game comes down to one or two plays sometimes, and our secondary never, ever, ever makes the play. I am going to criticize the physical mistake because that cannot happen, JT. The, the, the Las Vegas paper had a great line today. Inter, sl, interception slips through his fingers, metaphor for this season. That is the season in a nutshell. Whether he fell on the ground or took it to the end zone, the game was over. They gift-wrapped us a win, and Trevor Merrig dropped the ball. And I'm tired of these secondary guys week after week after week never, ever making the play to win. Sorensen had a pick-six last night. The Chiefs. Didn't play well, but had three interceptions and won a game when their offense didn't play well. Can we do that just once? And it starts by the secondary catching the freaking football. That's why we have five interceptions this year, and three of them came in one freaking game. Thank you, my friend. I got to get into basketball practice. I'm good, riled up now. Thanks for everything this weekend, my friend. Really
2: appreciate it. Talk to you later. Take care, Chris. You know, again, I have a tough time with the drop interceptions, and I know that it's an emphasis in that organization, in the Raider organization, to get ball hawks and guys who can catch the football. And the new players who are going to do that, Trayvon Merrick and Nate Hobbs. Okay, it it didn't happen. I agree with you. It ends the game. You got to make that play. He didn't. There's not too much more we can talk about. I could sit here and beat him up. I like Merrick. I like Merrick as a building block for the future on a draft pick who's gonna stick and knows where the ball is and understands his role. Very disappointing he didn't catch it. If Merrick catches that ball, he leads Sports Center, or is the second story, and they bring him up to the podium post game, and all he does this week is he's on TV all week. No one's more hurt than Merrick for not catching that ball. It would have changed his season because he would have had an interception that would have ended a game and he wasn't able to do it. Very disappointing that he wasn't able to do that. Bobby, I'm bouncing around, so follow me. Reggie in North Las Vegas. Reggie in North Las Vegas, you're up next. Go ahead, Reggie.
0: JT, what's going on, man? All the best pleasantries that I could give you. You know I love you, man. And uh, I, It's like the last caller just put it all out there. I, I, I look for places to try to really point at what the problem is, and it was every phase the coaching man for how is it that not only you but we the fans could see that hit in the middle coming out fast start with our offense on the field things like that how is it that we see it but it seems like the coaching don't see it so the first blame i'm putting it on is coaching because this is year long whole season we've been having this problem then of course i'm going to say car today Because there was so much missed out there for us to not even get in the red zone, first of all. And then when we get to the red zone, it becomes the dead zone. I always say this, third down is our worst down, and that's on offense and defense. So I don't understand it. I don't know why it's continually to happen. I think it's got something to do with definitely with the type of uh, personality that we have on the field. Are they taking on the coach's personality or what? I don't, I don't get it. So right now I'm just frustrated. I know everybody's frustrated. I don't even understand where we go from here. I can't see us making the playoffs because we keep making these same mistakes. And let's go back to the way you started it. You look at the teams we lost against, and you look at where we lost at. We lost at home against some of the worst teams in the league, and we should have won because our defense, good, bad, or indifferent, they held them to low-scoring games, and we can't come out with the win. JT, I'm trying to do like your wife said, stay calm, so I'm staying calm. I'm still Raider Nation till I die. Raider Nation, unite.
2: You know, the, when, it, when it comes to deferring, most coaches defer. Most coaches do. And, you know, you one thing, you're guaranteed the ball to start the game in your own building. I like that. But I understand how Tom Brady, Tom Brady became, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And Belichick and Brady understood that if Brady, because he's great at clock management, if he could be able to do – You score at the end of the half and get the ball back and score again. That's what Brady can do. Carr's not Brady. He's not. So they want Carr to do what Brady does. Score in the final two minutes of the half and then score to come out. Derek's done that throughout his career. Matter of fact, Derek's speaking now, so we're recording it. We're going to play a little bit of Derek uh, coming up a little bit later on the show and hear what he had to say at his press conference, which is happening right now, if you want to go see that, and uh, I believe – that's what's happening As I got the notification on Twitter from the Raiders. So we'll get you some of that coming up here in a little bit. But in regards to starting fast, of course they want to start fast. You don't think Greg Olsen, when he's sitting with the team at the Saturday night meeting before the game on Sunday, is saying, hey, look, we want to start fast. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to go with this play, that play, this play. That's their goal. They're not forgetting that at the team meetings and practice. What's frustrating me the most is I know that the team practices well. The team practiced well under John Gruden, and they're really practicing well under Rich Basaccia. We, we hear that. I hear it on the inside, not just from you know the insiders who are covering practice and they're only watching walkthroughs or a little bit of practice there. This team practices well when they have the bodies to go practice, when they have healthy bodies and ready to go. Now with Alec Engle out and Kenyon Drake gone for the year, That hurts. The injury to Trayvon Mullen, Richie Incognito. The list goes on and on. Nicholas Morrow. Now the injuries that I've been preaching are catching up to this team. They're supposed to be getting healthier. Without Darren Waller, how do you win in Kansas City without Darren Waller? So guys, got to play now. They got to play through this pain. If they can go, they got to go, because the team. I can't wait to get into this Kansas City this Kansas City debate on how to play Kansas City. Because last year they beat them, and Kansas City was a much better team. Come on, they were much better as a Kansas City team. And the Raiders went into Kansas City last year and played phenomenal. I just don't think the Raiders are capable of playing at the level that they played in Kansas City last year unless something crazy happens at practice and they out-scheme Andy Reid and the coaching staff. Because last year they went in there and they played a beautiful game of football. It was really one of the more, more executed, greatest Raider games in the regular season in many years. Can they do that again with their back up against the wall? We'll see. We'll see. But they, they're going to have to play a, a perfect game. And look, this is the time. They have to win. I, I just know that Mahomes is playing and struggling. But we knew that going into the game in Vegas, and he threw five touchdowns and had no interceptions. Seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred 9200 calls the rest of the way. Harry Ruiz. The Latino voice of the Raiders at the top of the hour. Wanna thank our good friends and what a job they do. Any Tires Plus, conveniently located off the corner of Lake Mead and Boulder Highway. Right now get $50 off any new set of four tires. Good time to do that over the holiday season. Complimentary road hazard protection for 24 months with the purchase of a new set of tires. It's Any Tires Plus, proud partner of our show.
3: We feel like we're not playing our best football. We have spurts where we're really good, and then we have spurts where we kind of have these, these – we're not scoring. We're not finding ways to finish drives. Um, so definitely as a competitor, you want to be better.
2: Yeah, that's it. You want these drives to be better. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he's struggling. He's really struggling. It's just too bad the Raiders don't have a better record. Coming into this game on Sunday, but hate to say it, it is what it is. Raiders have to play their best game of the season to save the season and have any chance of the playoffs. And I didn't think we'd be saying that. I thought the Raiders, by beating Cincinnati and beating the Washington football team, would control their destiny. They didn't, so they don't control their destiny. They're going to need a lot of help the rest of the way. 702-365-9200 as we continue on. JT, good to have you back. Hope you had a great weekend. If you didn't get a chance to go to the game, we're brought to you by Sam and Ash, SamandAshInjuryLaw.com, because you deserve what's right. Seven zero two eight two zero one two three four. If you get into an accident, Nick in San Jose, thanks for being patient, Nick. Ahead.
3: Hey, Brick. You and Brent are the Shangri-La when it comes to what you do, but when it comes to personnel, we are a joke. And I want to give you three examples a comment, and then a question to you. I hope you answer. Mm. We. We have incarcerated Ruggs. Whether it was a mistake or not, he's incarcerated. We could have got C.D. Lamb. We could have got Justin Jefferson. Clee Farrell, the third pick of the first round, is non-existent in games. And Abrams, I can't watch this guy anymore. It's repeat mistake after repeat mistake. He is not a linebacker. He's supposed to be a safety. Why do they play this guy? Last comment um, and then question to you. Uh We beat KC last year in Arrowhead because they took us lightly, man. You know, they even said it without saying it after um, Mm. we beat them. I I, I don't want to be half empty, but they took us lightly. So here's my question, bro. We will be, if we're lucky, 7 and 10. Do we, A, blow this up again? Or, B, do we stick with Carr? Because I want to love Carr. He's athletic, but he's Mm. not mobile. He missed D-Jack wide open yesterday. Edwards was wide open. And it's just he's been there eight years, my man. And he has not won a playoff game. JT, what do we do? Do we blow it up? Do we get rid of Carr? We're not going to be more than 7-10, and 10, man. Please speak honestly. Well, what do we you do, know, man? Again,
2: again, let me jump in on Carr because working on the flagship and he's a quarterback, I am not ready to address his future right now. Do I think that Derek Carr is playing for his future? Yeah. I mean, that's as hard as I'll go on that. I don't want to be Captain Obvious on this, but if Derek Carr doesn't play well down the stretch, he's not helping his cause as being the franchise quarterback of the Raiders going forward. Vinny Bonsignor, Vinny who's coming up at four, put out some really good content on this with Carr. And I, along with Vinny, along with Paul Gutierrez and other respected insiders, every year we spend talking about Derek's future. And Vinny wrote about this at length and talked about this on his Twitter feed. Vinnie Vinny talked about this, and Vinny covers the team from the inside, that he said, quote, the subject question about Derek Carr's rate of future has been asked by me and others every single offseason and will be asked again at the end of the season. That said, the conversation at this moment is about making a quarterback change for the rest of the season. That's not realistic. So, of course, Carr, I mean, all Mike Mayock says, and everybody says is that they're going to address every position at the end of the year. With Derek Carr, you get a top 11 to 15 quarterback in a league that has some bad quarterbacks and some super elite quarterbacks. And, again, this is Raiders radio from January on. Why would I want to do that in the first week of December? I got content in front of me on Kansas City and the loss. So to answer your question, is Derek Carr... A player that's got to be concerned about his future with the organization? I don't think he has to be worried about it. But if he doesn't play well down the stretch, it's not going to help his cause. There will be better quarterbacks than Derek, better, available this offseason. But for what price? And do they want to come to Las Vegas? That has everything to do with the future of Derek Carr. Harry Ruiz right here at the top of the hour.